Welcome, everybody. Thank you, Mike. Yes, you're excited. Okay, welcome to Christian Life Church. For those of you not from here, I just want to welcome you on behalf of the church to uh, our building for our first, not first annual, because that is incorrect, but it is our first influence seminar. So welcome to that. I'm glad you guys could make it out here on a Saturday morning. I'm glad you guys uh, responded to your alarms. The temptation, I'm sure, was not to, but we got your 10 bucks, so I don't care. But good to have you guys here today. You know, we had a difficult challenge of trying to man up the lobby, the sanctuary, and everything to get it, you know, for a men's event. So I was going to scatter some, you know, grass clippings to get that smell or some wood shavings and that. And if you notice in the men's room, we put a trough in there, so it's like Wrigley Field. Um, it's not a drinking fountain, just to clarify that. All right, so, but if, speaking of bathrooms, if you guys are unaware, um, if you just go out the main doors and turn left, wrap right around there, or you can go out any of these doors, the bathroom is right over there, uh, if you need to use that throughout. Well, influence. You guys have known it if you've heard me, that the John Maxwell quote, that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, is what has inspired me and motivated me to try and put something like this together. And as I look around the room and I see the about 60 guys we got here, I think, okay, well, there's 60 guys of influence here, but who does that represent? And if we were to pull up a dry erase board and see how many people are represented through our influence in here. I mean, I think of me with just my family and extended family and uh, my neighbors, people at work, people at church, my friends, friends and their families. And just the amount of influence, and you start getting to social media, realize the influence we have there. How many people are represented by each one of us being here today? So the influence you have goes far beyond you, goes far beyond even your family. And so here, we're here to capitalize on and get the most out of each one of our influence. I want to introduce Steve now because you guys didn't come to hear me, and that's totally fine. Um, you have the schedule in your brochure, and it has the break time. We're going to try and stick to that as best as we can. Not that I have any control over that, but Steve will try to stick to that as best as we can. And uh, there's, feel free to go in and out, get food, coffee, refills, all that. Um, that's all available for you. Uh, but to introduce Steve, you know, William Wallace in Braveheart said, men don't follow titles, they follow courage. And so I could stand up here and tell all of Steve's titles. And I could give an elaborate description of what he does and the impact he has um, through corporations and different things. But the reason I wanted him, he was, the reason this thing was birthed was last time he came and he spoke at this pulpit. When I heard him, I said, I want you to talk just to the guys. Because Steve has a way of connecting with us. Those of you who have heard him before, I mean, he, he's very straightforward, not politically correct. He'll tell it like it is. Tell us things we need to hear. And so that's why I wanted Steve to come and be a part of this. I mean, Steve is a desired speaker all over the world, I think 16 countries, and I mean, he goes all over the place. He was just telling me last night, he's going to Australia, New Zealand um, for, for speaking engagements. You know, he does colleges, corporations, all kinds of stuff. So we're really honored to have him here. 
And Steve might tell you a little bit more about what he does, but I just want to introduce someone who has had a major impact on my life through his words and then through spending close time with him. So would you please welcome Steve Sessler. Hey. Mark, can I get a, a, a stand too? I get too much paraphernalia. Hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, thanks. Uh, oh. It's weird. I'm, I'm, is that too loud? Is that okay? It seems really loud to me, but maybe that's because of where I'm standing. Um, it's so funny. I, I'm uh, waiting to come up here, and I'm like, I'm nervous. I spoke at MIT in June. I'm nervous here. <laughs> so uh, it's just, it's crazy how that works. Uh, I'm trying to find a, a book of the Bible here. Does anybody know where 1 Samuel is? <laughs> I found it. Okay. Yeah, Old Testament. That's good. Huh? Take deep breaths. No, it's funny. I mean, um, I've been doing this for 25 years, and uh, I've always like, I got to get up there and talk. And I, I've been doing that for 25 years. It never seems to change. Um, and I think the reason for me, it's not that I'm so concerned about coming up here and looking like a moron is that, you know, I've come all this way and I've got so much in my heart and I want to impart it and trying to get you to get it and get something that I fear that won't happen. And so um, I think that's kind of the majority of, 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 of why that happens with me. Uh, so anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about influence. You know, I'm thinking about influence. This is like a 10-hour conversation, but we don't have 10 hours. So I'm picking out little things that I think are meaningful um, and then sharing them. Um, to give you a little bit of background about myself, um, uh, I am the most unlikely person to be standing here. Um, uh, I was diagnosed with severe um, ADHD when I was in first grade. But then they called it hyperkinetic. It was so bad that the doctor told the school I needed to go home half a day. I can only go to school half a day. But the school wouldn't allow that, so they ended up with the consequences. <laughs> um, but I'd say uh, for the first 10, ten grades, um, I, I fought my way through school. So um, for nine years, basically, I, I was defending myself to the point of where uh, I remember in... Six, seventh grade, I was jumped by 11 kids at once and knocked unconscious. Um, and no, nobody knew this. It was on, kind of to the side of the school. So when I woke up, it was like school buses were gone, school's out. And then I had to walk home, which was maybe four miles, which was like bullies all the way home, too. I, I, uh, 
I used to get beat up by girls <laughs> when I was young. Um, I can remember sixth grade, my first day of school, I sat on the bus, I'm all dressed up, my mom's outside waving, and everybody's giving my mother the finger on the bus. <laughs> and my mother didn't realize that. I don't even think she knew what that meant. And uh, she's just waving at me, and uh, I, I, I wave like this, I turn around, and this girl is sitting in front of me, and she hauls off and punches me right in the mouth. And I've got blood all over my new clothes. And this is my first day of sixth grade. And I'm like, it's going to be a good year. <laughs> I remember in gym class, the kids, when the gym teacher was out, they locked me in a locker in my underwear. Okay, the locker was like six inches. And I was very thin, obviously. So they got me in there. And then they shut it, and somebody had a combination lock. They put it on there and left. Well, nobody had the combination. Well, the thing with me, I was too ashamed and embarrassed to tell anyone I was in there. So I'm just sitting, standing in this locker, just trying to figure out, what, do, what am I going to do now? What do I do? And I've told people this for, for many years. I think that's when God looked down and went, or Jesus looked down and said, Hey, Dad, we can use that guy. He doesn't have any pride. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <clears throat> so that, it was rough. Um, so when I became 16, my dad made me lift weights in the basement. If I didn't, I got in trouble. I was grounded if I didn't do it. So he had this old Sears weight set. And so I'd go down there and, like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just spent time down there until my dad was satisfied and I'd come up. And I did that three days a week. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was in 10th grade. I'm in the bathroom in high school and a kid walks in. None of them were my friends. Nobody was really like my friend in high school. So everybody who walked in was a potential threat. But this kid walked in. He was on the bus I rode, so I knew him. And uh, I was combing my hair because, you know, I had the big Southie... And I was combing my hair, and he looked at me and he said, are you working out? Yeah. And he didn't say anything, and he just walked out. And I thought, it's working. <laughs> so I went crazy. And so by the time I was a senior, I was benching 315, weighing 176. Uh, I, I just went crazy. So it was the proverbial sand kicked in the face, and then you become Mr. Atlas, you know. Uh, so by the time I was a senior, I was protecting the ninth graders. I was the bodyguard for all the little kids, you know, this kind of thing. We had moved to Florida, so nobody knew that, you know, I was the moron for nine years. I get into Florida, and I'm the talk of the town because of my accent, you know, and all these other things. So that kind of started my... Uh, my life, and uh, it's weird, I now travel around the world, I've got clients in more than 16 countries, I'm working with CEOs and Fortune 500 companies all over, telling them what to do with a high school education. Um, I went to Bible school, which is sort of like glorified Sunday school, for me, it's the way I saw it. Um, it. My school wasn't even accredited, so I don't have anything. And I think part of having real influence is being okay with yourself. And I can remember I'm in Switzerland. They fly me out to Switzerland first class. Um, 
I'm speaking to all the managers of a $2 billion organization in Switzerland. They're flying them in from all over the world to be with me for five hours. And on the way there, I'm in this Mercedes limo in the back seat, and the, the CEO of this company has a driver, a designated driver just drives him around. And the CEO's in the front seat, and he kind of looked like he worked at Auschwitz once. You know, really creepy. You know, he had the hair cut back, and he just kind of stared at you with these steely blue eyes, and I'm picturing him wearing an SS uniform. That's the impression I got from this guy. But he turns around and he glares at me, and he goes, so, where did you get your education? And I just said, I don't have an education. Just like that. And he went, well, that's what I like, a self-made man. And he turned around. And then I spoke to his five guys. uh, I mean, for five hours to all his people. And I remember driving home thinking, what? I'm flying home. I was thinking about this scenario, about what happened. He turns around, what's your education? Because you're speaking to all my managers. And I just said, I don't have one. And I said it without thinking, without missing a beat. I didn't get nervous. I, didn't, I just said, I don't have an education. Like, I was confident in my lack of formal education. So he was confident with it, too. Matter of fact, he told me he liked it. I really like that. I love self-made people. That's what he said to me. And then I spoke to the guys, and they were coming up to me and talking to me and shaking my hand. They'd never done this before. This was the first time this company ever did this in a hundred and something years. And, um, uh, and it went really well. And I was able to influence in this situation because I was okay with who I was, and I was really okay with who I wasn't. And that's where I want to begin this morning, I, I, want to, I want to tell you a little story or read you just this short story in 1 Samuel chapter 6. If you brought a Bible, some of you might not even do Bible, but um, I do it in situations like this. Uh, but it, it, it tells us something about influence. It's, it's super important. 1 Samuel chapter 6, it is in the first half of the Bible. And uh, this is an interesting story. Anybody see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, well, this is a story about the Ark, the Lost Ark and Raiders. Um, Inside of it had some interesting items. There was the the tablets of the Ten Commandments. There was a a stick that magically budded when uh, Aaron had had that years before. Uh, There was a little pot of bread in there. I mean, it it, it was representative of a lot of things, but it basically represented God and the Spirit of God, the power of God, and the the God that the Israelites served. So it was a big deal to have this ark. They would take it before them when they go into battle and things like that. Well, anyway, it gets stolen. Uh, So the ark gets stolen, and it's a real problem, because the people that steal it, these people in Ashdod and Ekron, um, they all start breaking out with hemorrhoids after they steal this ark. And, it, I mean, people, they got to run on preparation H, preparation H like you wouldn't believe. And, I mean, it was a real problem, so big of a problem, that they're making models of the hemorrhoids out of gold. You know, they're, they're ready to worship them or something. I don't know what was going on, but you know how people are when they're primitive. 
Um, but you've got all this going on, and all of a sudden, this thing is like cursed. So what they decide to do is we've got to figure out how to get rid of this thing. So it's such a great story um, because uh, you could see here, we're gonna, I'm going to start in verse 9. But after they had moved it, it says, The Lord's hand was mighty against that city, throwing it into great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. But it's actually in the Hebrew, it's, it's hemorrhoids. So that they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Well, it gets to Ekron. Well, they already heard what was going on in Ashdod because they got CNN. You know I mean? So they, they're like, why are you bringing that thing here? And so the same thing starts happening. And they're like, we, we've got to get rid of this thing. So... Uh, it ended up in the Philistine camp, and they're like, we have got to get rid of this. This is a curse. This is not working on our behalf. So here's what they did. When the Ark of the Lord, chapter 6, verse 1 of Samuel, I was, that was 5, the end of 5 there. I'm sorry. In Philistine territory, seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back. Now, they're getting like magicians and they're trying to get all the people who like know, you know, everything they don't know and trying to figure out what are we going to do with this thing. And this is what happens. They answered, if you return the ark of the God to Israel, do not send it away empty, but by all means send a guilt offering. Let's give this God a present. Maybe he'll never come back. Maybe he'll leave us alone, you know, this kind of a thing. So they're, they're, they're surmising that if we put gifts in here and send it, you know, everything's going to be great. Uh, so this is what they do. Now, verse 7. Now then, this is, what, this, is what, this is the plan they come up with. Get a new cart. A, build a cart. A, build a brand new cart. Make it ready with two cows. Now, this is real specific. With two cows that have calved. So I, I, I want two cows, but I want the, only two cows that just had babies. And then... Uh, I also want two cows that have never been harnessed with a yoke. Okay? They've never had a yoke on them. Well, it sounds like they're setting this up for disaster. Then the cows, hitch the cows to the cart, and then take their calves away and put them in a pen. Okay? Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart. In the chest beside it, put all the gold objects that we're sending back as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. Now, these are pagan nations. When I say pagan, it just means villagers. Okay? Pagan people aren't like evil people. They're villagers. They're, they're unschooled. They're, un, they're, they're in areas that no one goes they don't, they're in communities of just, you know, kill or be killed. You know, they're, they're very uh, barbaric uh, kind of peoples. There's not a lot of sophistication to them. And so they're just, you know, doing all this magical stuff, trying to figure out how to get rid of this ark. They've come up with this concept about putting this trick together and send it. And then it says, now let's watch. Let's everybody watch it and see what happens. And then it says this. 
if it goes up on its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it doesn't, we'll know that this was not his hand that struck us. It's all just a big coincidence. Now, I want you to think about what they've just done. They took two cows, they just calved, they've never been yoked, and now they're going to yoke them. They're going to hook them up to a cart. They've never done that before. Then they're going to take their babies away. You ever mess with a cow with babies? I used to live on a farm, and there was cows there, and if they had babies, we used to make games out of it. We'd go out there, and they'd chase us because they had calves. You get so close, and then they'll run you and try to hit you with their head. It was really fun when you're young. And uh, so, anyway, then take their babies and put them in a pen. Well, what are those babies going to do? Ah, yes, yeah, right. So what do you think the mother cows are going to want to do? Protect the babies. So they've got this set up so that the cart will not go back to the Israelite camp. It's set up so that that's not going to happen. They've sought nature, they've thought about all the science of it, and they're like, there's no way this is going to happen. So if it does, then it's supernatural. It's beyond us if it happens. If it doesn't happen, it's like, ah, it was a trick. That's what they're doing. And look at what happens. This is so amazing. So they did this. They took the, the, the cows, they hitched them up to the cart, they penned up their calves, they placed the ark of the Lord on the cart along with the whatevers, and it says the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. The cows went, but interestingly enough, they were lowing all the way. Do you know what lowing means? Huh? Singing? Yeah, it's a funeral dirge. They're crying. They're crying. They're lowing all the way. Why? Everything in them does not want to do this. Everything in them does not want to do this. They want to do what we would do by sheer nature. Just let your faculties go. That guy cuts you off, shoot him. Huh? Just let it all go. Just let's kill all these people and get our calves back. That's what we do. We're animals. But they didn't do it. The Philistines were influenced by cows. By cows. Now, here's the, here's, here's the point. What about us? There's things in our lives, there's things that's going on we don't want to do. But guess what? Everybody's watching to see what you will do. The Philistines are watching. When I say the Philistines, I mean everyone, and I don't care what camp, what faith, that doesn't matter to me. The fact of the matter is human beings are watching human beings. And they're seeing how human beings react in different situations. And when we react a certain way in a certain situation, everybody wants to know why and how that happened, or you were able to do that and do it that way. 
influence has four components to it, always. Risk, reputation, ramifications, and rewards. You ever heard the saying, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. But you see, life is about risk. Okay, what was I risking in Switzerland? I risked, in a sense, everything. When I said, yeah, you just flew a guy out and you're paying him this much a day and he hasn't even been to college. That's a risk. There's ramifications. I didn't know what they would be. I really didn't take the time to think about it because at this point in my life, I've learned, just do it. I mean, I'm not going to be dead soon. I don't know about you. <laughs> just do it. Being a responsive person always involves risk. Do you remember when that whole thing about uh, that case that was on TV about the guy that shot the black boy and he died? Do you remember that recently? What was the name? Zimmerman, the Zimmerman trial. Well, I watched that for the behavioral aspects of it. I love trials. I, I, I was just watching how these things were playing out. But something interesting I noticed, the woman that heard a ruckus outside her door would not open the door, go to the window, or go outside. It was too risky. But I firmly believe if she did open the door and walked out there, I don't think anybody would have shot anyone. Not with another human standing there. Or an intervention, or something could have happened. But because I couldn't risk it, I stayed in and got on the phone and called 911 which took, that was it, it was too late. But just opening the door, stepping out, going, what's going on out there? Could have changed the whole scenario, and one person couldn't risk it. They couldn't do it. So right there in that situation, we see that the failure to take a risk potentially ended up taking a life. It's very possible. So risk is extremely important. It's always risky meeting other people's needs. It's always risky in life when we're dealing with other people. I, part of influence, being successful as an influencer, is not knowing that you're doing it. When influence becomes a strategy, you're in, you're, it's, it's, some, it's wrong. I can remember, I was, in Bo I was in Denver, Colorado a few months ago, uh, I think May, April or May, I was in Denver. I met with seven business leaders in one of their offices, and I'm a personality profiler, so I'm a behavioral profiler. I can talk to people, get information from people, solicit information through particular surveys or whatnot, answer some questions, and I'll know more about them than anybody. And then I help them understand themselves and then teach them why this is the way your life is based upon your human behavior. So I was doing that and um, 
I, I looked at this girl, woman, but she like a girl to me, I'm 50. She was young. They were all young entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, I said, uh, something happened to you when you were young, maybe? And I'm just like, you know, it was like a divining moment, you know. And she starts crying at the table. She can't talk about it. Um, we get through that. That happened to three people out of seven, where they broke at the table, just talking about their business and their lives. I got back to Dallas, back home. A couple days later, I get an email from this woman. Her name was Sarah. And she said, how much would it cost me to get an hour with you? And when she said it, my mind immediately went back to her face at the table and the distraught look and the issues that she may have been facing in her company and whatnot, whatever. And my heart was just... And because I'm more people-oriented than profit-oriented, I said, just give me a call. I'll talk to you for nothing. So she called me. I talked to her for an hour. And she's like, you have no idea how helpful this has been. This has been so helpful. And uh, the next thing I know, there's an article in Forbes magazine about me, written by Sarah, who is a writer for Forbes, which I didn't know she was a writer for Forbes. And in the end of the article, she goes, if you want to get what I got, contact this guy. And there's my website in Forbes magazine. <laughs> now, if I wanted to get in Forbes, right, how do you think I'm going to pull that off? Hey, can I get in your magazine? But because I love somebody at my own financial expense, because I just wanted to help, that influenced her so much. And she sent me an email, I, I want to do this for you because of what you did for me. It was her knee-jerk reaction. It's actually got a title. It's called the reciprocity rule. It's a, it's a process and a product of a certain type of a persuasion technique. There's six of them. That's one of them. But that's not what I was doing. If I do this, I'll get that. I wasn't even thinking that. So I was completely you know, broadsided by it. So the point I'm making is, there was an influence going on. As long as I wasn't about me, and I was actually and literally about her, there was influence happening. I was influencing. I had a client the other day in Canada call me up. And this is a sheer business relationship. Um, I talked to him twice. Um, I profiled his team. And he calls me up. Well, he, what he did was, you go on my website, you make an appointment, and then it just, it's all automatic. If I get that spot taken, it's not available. So he just picked an available spot, made a one-hour appointment. And uh, I saw the appointment, so it rings a bell on my computer when I'm in my office. So you have an appointment coming up in 10 minutes, whatever. And so I'm sitting there, the phone rings from Canada. It's this entrepreneur. And we're talking a little bit, and all of a sudden he says, I think I'm drinking too much. I said, what? <laughs> I think I'm drinking too much. Really? So we have this conversation. Now, what made him think he needs to call me and tell me he's drinking too much? Did I do that with you? Okay. I mean, he just called me up and told me, I think I'm drinking too much. So now we've got a dialogue going. I spent an hour with him on that. 
And we're working, going to be working through that. And here, influencing again. What made him do that? What happened that made him think he needed to do that? I had another lady just the other day from Virginia. She, she calls me up on Skype. And she pulls up on Skype, young entrepreneur, no, not young, 40s, entrepreneurial, makes a lot of money. And she looks at me, she goes, I'm not sure if you know how special I am. I said, what? <laughs> she said, because you said something the other day, and it didn't make me feel very special. This is what's out there, folks. They're everywhere. All people want is to be loved and special. I don't care who they are, that's all anybody wants, is to be loved and special. Now, I could have taken this road. Well, the Bible says, I could have done that. Well, now I'm setting up hoops for her to jump through. That's not going to work. So I said, I think I know what's happening to you, Debbie. What's happening to me? When I make an observation about you, it comes in and turns around and becomes an accusation. And she went, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And then we had this conversation. And so all my clients, this is what's happening. It's almost like everybody who doesn't go to church ends up with a pastor, and it's me. That's what's happening all over the world. There are people, they want to be loved. They want to know they're special. And you're working with them. You're living with them. Our kids, that's all they want. That's all anybody wants. All of us right now, we're created more for more than we're doing right now. Believe me, this isn't it. What I'm doing, it's not it. I, I believe I'm just scratching the surface. I'm going to be in New Zealand and Australia next year with the potential of talking to 600 business owners throughout both of those regions. I'll have a captive audience of almost 600 business owners where they're sitting there taking notes, listening to me. And I'm going to be able to talk to them about themselves, and then what's going to happen is they're going to want to work with me on some level. And this, it's an influencing opportunity to influence people and to love people and to talk to people. I did a seminar up at MIT, and afterwards, this guy from Mexico just comes up to me. At the end, he walks right up to me, and he's looking at me, and his lips are going, I go, what's the matter with you? He goes, I'm effed up. <laughs> I said, what? I yell at my wife. I yell at my kids. I can't stop it. Can you help me? This is at MIT. I just put my arm around and said, oh, it's, it's okay. There's <laughs> a wealthy business owner. What is that? Oh. Do you remember in the Bible it said about Jesus? The common people heard him gladly. 
They came out in droves when he did anything. When he went anywhere, it was like a Who concert. That's from my time. But it was like they, they, they couldn't move. They couldn't get around. They, they were all like, I've got to see this. I've got to hear this. I've got I've to touch this. I've got to. They were all people just like you, just like everyone you work with, and they all couldn't wait to, to, they're hanging on every single word he said. Why? Like, how many people are like thronging to get in here? At the door, like, get us in! Someone's speaking today, like, they're, they're, like, we could spend like $500,000 in advertising and we might fill it. The problem is no one's hearing us gladly. No one's hearing us gladly. Why? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why? Why isn't anybody wanting to hear me like gladly? It all has to do with a few things. It has to do with a cultural stigma, mainly, an ideological idea about Christian people going back centuries and all kinds of things. And if we're going to make a difference in the lives of people, it has to be simply because we adore them. That's the, and they know you adore them. I have found out through my life when somebody realizes and gets the clue that I really, really care about them, it qualifies me to say anything to them. Anything. Absolutely anything. I had a guy sit down and talk to me. He's complaining about his job. He, he adopted three kids. He already had four. Now he's got seven. And he had all these complaints and issues, and my wife, and, and it's going on and on, and I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> waiting for him to be done, and I just said, stop acting like a retard. <laughs> and he went, what? I said, listen to you. Go home and make your wife feel safe, because right now she's on thin ice because you're being a dork. <laughs> and he went, I'm doing it. And he got up from the table and left. <laughs> he called me up that night and he said, I'm all better now. I don't know what was wrong with me. Thanks for saying that. I said, you just want attention like me. That's all. That's all it is. We have to start thinking about our lives, guys. We've got to think about why are we here? What are we doing? Are we going through the motions in life? What are we doing? Life is really boring if you're not affecting other people's lives. It's really boring. And I, I love uh, affecting people's lives. There's nothing more fun and exciting than somebody coming to me and saying to me, I'm like an email I got, one word, speechless. That's what it said in quotes, speechless after a, a conversation. It was like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? I mean, I consistently live in a state of shock. I live in a state of, how is this even happening? Thinking about my history, but here's what it is about my history. 
You have to let go of your history and focus on your destiny. That's the only way you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be or even need to be. You have got to let go of your history and you have to focus on your destiny. You are all destined for something so remarkable it should be written about. Everybody is destined for that. We're destined to do something really great. And you can, but you have to believe it. You can't let your past hold you hostage in your present. If all I did was focus on how horrible my life was all growing up and how I can't get anywhere, I can't do anything, nobody likes me, and focused on that, I would just go crawl up in a ball and hide under a pew over there. But I'm focusing on not what I am not, but what I am capable of if I just let go of all that. Just let go of all that and, and love the people that are in front of you. It's just amazing, you know, how this, how this works. I get an email from a client the other day. It's this 46-year-old woman. I'm working with her company, new client. I mean, very wealthy lady. She just bought a Ferrari, which she's picking me up in in the airport in a couple weeks. Cash. She bought cash for the car and cash for the house. And cash to spare. Okay? She's got a reputation for having a lot of cash because she's a client of mine because the girl that said, I don't think you think I'm special, told her about me. Said, I know the very person who can help you. The one that doesn't think I'm special can help you. <laughs> That's interesting. So I end up work. I, so I make the connection. I do a couple things, you know, business-wise, management-wise for the company. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, here's, here's an email that comes in. Out of the blue, here's what it says. Stephen, I'm 46. I'm unmarried. I just broke up with my boyfriend. I have, a, 12, I have a, a, a son in high school, and I can't breathe. That was the email. I'm 46. I don't have a husband. I have a son in high school. I just broke up with my boyfriend, and I can't breathe. I'm like the business consultant. So I called her up and talked her off that ledge. And at the end, she's like, I feel so much better now. <sighs> now, what am I creating? I was talking to somebody outside. They're talking about, they, they mentioned the word. What did they say to me? They said, I think they said revival or this is when the rival revival happened. I'm in it. I don't know where you are. I'm already in that. It's like I can't shut them off. I can't keep them out of my email box. I can't breathe. I got this. I got that. They're just, I'm drinking. They're just like go, coming everywhere. Why? Well, what's the key ingredient that I have here? They know I listen. They know I love them where they are, not where I think they're supposed to be. They know I care, and they know I would do anything to help, and I don't judge them. So, Steve, you're creating hope. Hope. Absolutely. 
hope. There's hope, there's anticipation, there's this whole something's different. I had an atheist chase me down like six years ago. He lived in Chicago. I met him at a, a conference. We had lunch together, and we're sitting there having lunch, and he just looks at me and goes, I think I'm going to be a Buddhist. And I went, a Buddhist? Yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a Buddhist. Have you been reading about Buddhism? Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you like about it? Oh, God. You know, he's going on and on. I said, well, what was your upbringing? Oh, I was Catholic. What a racket. <laughs> what a racket. I said, oh, that's interesting. Wow, that's really great. And uh, we just started talking, and, um, you know, we had this conversation, and we left. I got off the subject as quick as he brought it up. Well, he calls me a couple weeks later. We exchanged numbers. He was an interesting guy, whatever. He calls me up. There's something different about you. Yeah. What? I don't know what it is. There's something different. I said, well, I follow Jesus. You do? That's a shock. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. Why? Because I wasn't what he originally saw when he was young. So he didn't think I was even associated with that. So now he's confused. He's really confused. So the next call I get was when that pastor in Colorado had the homosexual situation and it made all the news. Do you remember that? He calls me up. He goes, hello? Aha! What? Who is this, Michael? Aha! Did you read about it? What? So-and-so, yada, 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 da-da-da. You see, that's why I don't want any part of it. Now, what do you think of that? Well, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think there's some unscrupulous physicians out there? What do you mean? You know, pedophile doctors. Well, yeah, I've seen it on television. Well, what are you going to do when you break your leg? He's just dead silent. And let me ask you another question. Are there any cops out there that maybe, you know, steal drug money, do coke? Yeah. Who are you going to call when your house gets broken into then? All right, you got me. That's what he said to me. You got me. A few weeks later, he flies to my house. He flies out to see me. He goes, I got to come see you. I said, it's $800 a day. He goes, I'm coming. And he paid me. And all he wanted to know was what was different. He's an atheist thinking about being a Buddhist with the worst track record of Christian experience you could imagine. And he's paying me $800 to pick my brain about Jesus. <laughs> Within four hours, he's on the floor, crying and crawling around. <laughs> In my office, crying and crawling around, going, when I was eight, I wanted to be a priest. When I was eight, I wanted to be a priest and help people. Are you going to help people? He flew home a couple months or two later. He called me up. He's driving down the street. He goes, 
I'm listening to this song by this group called Casting Crowns. I can't stop crying. Is there something wrong with me? <laughs> just clueless. I mean, I loved him. I loved him. I just loved him. I think I'm going to be a Buddhist. I didn't go. I had another guy one time. His name was Dan. I went in there to get some business cards made locally. This is 15 years ago. And uh, we got to talking. And he wanted to know about me, my life. He was a Jewish guy. And uh, real heavy. I mean, you could tell just looking at him, he was a Jewish guy. And um, he had a picture of himself on a camel going like this in front of the Great Pyramids, you know, in his office. And uh, we're talking. So, you know, it ends up coming up that I'm a Christian. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, my wife's one of those. She's a BAC. A what? Born again. Oh, okay. You know, and he's going on and on about, you know, this other guy who's like that. And he comes in and he's always telling me I'm going to hell and, you know, this kind of thing. He does it in a nice way, he goes, but, you know, it's irritating. So we, we started talking, and then I left. Well, I, you know, this goes on, we go back and forth. I come back, this other time I come back, he goes, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I said, Dan, what do you got? He goes, when you're dead, you're dead like a dog, that's it. You're dead like a dog. I said, okay, what do you mean? He goes, you see, before you're alive, you're dead. There's nothing. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. After you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing. What do you got now? Huh? What do you got? That's what he did. Just like that. And I said, I ain't got much, dude, to compare with that. That's awesome. I want what you got. And he went, what? I said, Dan, listen to the logic of it. Listen to me, Dan. Listen. You're on to something. You live however you want. No consequence. You die. You sleep forever. That's what I want. He goes, you being honest with me? I'm being dead honest with you. And I said, I got to go. I walked out. He chases me out of the building. <laughs> this conversation's not over. That's what he said to me. What's happening? I'm loving Dan. I love Dan. I do want that. That's easy. I'm not lying. I'm not placating. That's easy. That'd be great. Huh? He didn't want it. He didn't want that. You see, this is where we, we, we got to get a clue. Nobody wants what they have. They don't understand they're groping in the darkness. Everybody's, I mean, watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. What is everybody doing? They're, they're all trying to like, what is it? What is it? Everybody wants to know what, quote, it is. What they don't like is the version of what we're giving them. When Jesus showed up, they're all like killing each other trying to get to him because it's something he had. They didn't know what it was, but he wasn't, you know, making them all jump hoops like the temple folks. Well, you know, I'm glad I'm not like you, sucker. You know, they, they, no one wants that. They all are looking for something. Everybody has this internal thing inside that says, I have a funny feeling this ain't it. 
So we talk about influencing people and helping people work through things or make a difference, this and that, and they're already where we think we're going to get them to. They're already there. They're already there. They live there. We all do. Here's what I've realized in the last 25 years. If you have something to say, something to say, and a unique way of saying it, and it solves somebody's problem, you, my friend, will be in demand. If you've got something to say and a unique way of saying it, and it solves somebody's problem, you are now in demand. That's the facts. True influencers find solutions. We do not recite our problems. We find solutions. When you're a resource, you'll have people lined up out the door because you're a resource of some kind. Just a resource, an idea person. Bounce this off of you. People call me up all the time just to bounce something off of me. At least once or twice a week, I get an email that says, Gary, this is Steve. Steve, this is Gary. Gary, this is the guy I was telling you about. I'll leave it to you. Like, I get those every week, all the time. This is the guy I was telling you about. This is the guy I was telling you about. Oh, this is the person I was telling you about. What are people doing? They're, wanting, they're being influenced, and then when they see somebody else, and they hear something that they're going through, the first person they think of is me. The guy that got beat up by the girls. That's the first person they think of. And then they tell them. You see, why? Because they're getting more than some kind of a consultation with some management advice. They're getting so much more than that. They're getting hope. They're feeling loved. And everybody except Debbie is feeling special. And they love it. And what it does is it opens doors and breaks down barriers. Because the fact of the matter is they know that I know that I'm no different from them. They know that. They know that I know that. They know that I know that. And that's what makes the difference. You see, we have to start liking ourselves again. We have to start focusing on why am I alive and on this planet? What am I doing? Am I just like I go to a job, I work, I go home, and, and you know, there's my wife and there are my kids and they're kind of annoying. Um, I go here and... You know, I hate this job, but, you know, 84% of the people in America working and waiting on their dream job, like it's going to show up in their driveway, I guess, someday. But they're just going through the motions, and we just go through this life, we go through this planet, 
We drag our chains into home. We drag our chains into work. We drag our chains into church or to the Elks Club or to the mall or whatever, and we just kind of go through life like the movie Joe versus the Volcano. And that's, that's it. And then we hear a message. It's like, you know, let's go share and tell everybody how awesome it is to come in and join our boring group. Let's get everybody psyched about being a part of what I'm a part of. I hate my wife and I hate my job. It is just kick butt, man. No, that doesn't work. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to know it. They're having more fun than you. So, it's, you know, you got to understand something. People are pack animals. Did you know that? We're like pack animals. Psychologists call it in-group loyalty. It's, it's a moral foundation with humans. It's one of the five moral foundations. In-group loyalty. We find a group to get in and stay loyal to. Did you know that as of 2012, there are now, and this is impressive, 41,000 denominations just in Christianity worldwide. 41,000. Do you know why? Because somebody didn't like the group they were in, so they made another one. And I'm in another group, and I'm loyal to this. And I'm in another group, and I'm loyal to that. And that's what everybody does. We all do it. We're pack animals. We're, we're looking for a group to get in. Just go to the mall. I don't know if this, this happened like in 2002. This was real big. The mall rats. Remember the mall rats? In 2002, the goths. Remember the goths came on the scene in, in that, that era? And you'd see them coming through the mall like an army. The big, huge pants, the legs like this wide. And, you know, piercings and purple hair and eyes and skulls and anything. As weird as they could get, they'd do it. And then they'd all come in together. And everybody's like, oh, my God, did they come, the zombies? You know, whatever. You see all the older people, like, <laughs> holding on to their purse. And they come into the mall. And I remember sitting in the mall and people watching. You know, I would sit there and I'd observe people just to just add stuff for my talks or whatever. And here come these rats. Now, here's what was so interesting. All right, I've got to demonstrate it. They're coming in, and there's, there's a group of them in the cafeteria area. There's a big food court, and they're all there. And then here comes this one. It's a girl, like green hair on this side, you know, ch real chubby, swollen face, acne, Okay, uh, very heavy, wearing all these dark clothes, kind of hiding herself. She walked over into this group, and it was like I was watching the Grinch. It was like Whoville. They opened up, and she went into the circle. They closed it, and she's getting hugs all around. She found an in-group of people just like her who could love her where she is, not with her parents, maybe her parents' church, or anybody else thought she should be. And they loved her right there where she was. And I looked at that and I said, that's her church.
That's her church. And I thought, isn't it interesting? She doesn't want to be a part of mine. If we're going to influence people, we have got to change the way we think. We've got to change what we say, and we have to change what we do. We have to love people on such a level that we've got to learn how to do it. Because we're not doing it. They're not feeling it. They're not coming. They're not coming. Do you know in the last four years, 10,000 churches in America shut their doors. One thousand two hundred and ninety pastors a month quit. A month. I mean, it's a big country, but you're thinking, what? Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you, a lot of the reason is because this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I was just talking with a pastor. He had a church of 275 people. I've been to it. Nice people. Very nice people. Very blue-collar. Very regular folks. No highfalutin-type people. I mean, I'm in Dallas, so there are those places where, like, you look at your watch and leave because it ain't good enough. I mean, you, we've got some mega stuff going on down there. It's an in-group with a loyalty. So was this one. Well, anyway, he was there. So we talked, and I ended up profiling him. And I said, here's how you're wired. And I told him how he was wired. And this is what you can expect based upon your hard wiring, your personality, your style of everything. This is the way it is. And he looked at it. He's like, that doesn't look good. All my friends, their churches are like 2,500 and more. Sucks to be you, Mike. He quit. Two weeks, three weeks. Later, he meets me at the food court at a local grocery store, tears in his eyes. I'm done. You know what happened? He wasn't in it for them. He was in it for him. It was, this is my identity. This, talks, this tells me who I am. This, this is how I get up every morning. But if it ain't happening, why am I getting up? You see, I have found, I don't want to travel the world and be some kind of big speaker. You know what I get all my fun at? On the phone or in person with one person. I can't wait for those moments. I kind of suffer through these, and I can't wait to get in the lobby. You know what I mean? It's like, I love people. I love people. And some people, they love what they think loving people will do. But they don't love people. Here's the interesting thing about this. Everybody instinctively knows it. You can't hide it. When you go buy a car, and you walk up there, and here comes the salesman, within six seconds, you know if he really cares about you. 
you can feel it. It's a principle. As soon as you start thinking about taking a shower, you know something's wrong with this situation. But you see, we are called not to have any pretense. You know, Jesus, it's interesting, it says he made himself of no reputation. Funny thing about Jesus, he never cared about what anybody else thought. I don't even think it entered his mind. He just loved everyone. He just loved them. He just loved people. And people couldn't wait to love him. Now, not everyone. And we're going to come up on a break here, so I'm going to end with this little thing. There's a story in the Bible about this guy named Zacchaeus. He's like a tax collector. And, uh, you know, he, he was a really short guy. I don't know if he was a dwarf, but you almost think so because they make such a big deal out of it, that he couldn't see Jesus when he heard he was coming, so he's got to climb this tree. Now, if you know anything about tax collectors, you think that's the IRS, you're thinking wrong. These guys were extortionists. Okay? They didn't, what they did is, if you owe the IRS 700 bucks, they took 1400 and then bought a new car with the seven. You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing they were like. That's what they, nobody liked them. I mean, they were like anathema to society, not to religion. To, nobody liked them. And he's up in this tree trying to get a glimpse of this one guy who's just walking through town. He's like, i got to see this for myself, because I'm wondering what on earth he heard, but he wanted to see. And here's the funny thing. Jesus, he gets to this point, and he's right under this tree, and then he looks up, and he goes, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, Zacchaeus. And I can imagine what Zacchaeus thought. He's probably thinking, am I arrested? <laughs> I'm assuming that might have been the first thing he was thinking. He said, can you come down here? Because I want to have lunch with you today. That, that's what he did. Now, here's what Zacchaeus does. He gets down from the tree. He walks over to Jesus, and he gets down on the ground. Because we know, because it says later, he stood up. He gets down on the ground, and he says, everything I've robbed from everybody, I'm, I, I swear to God, I'm giving it back. I'm going to give it back. They haven't even had a conversation yet. You talk about influence. You walk into a room and they're like, no, I swear, I'm sorry. Just because when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, he saw him as a person that wanted to be loved and wanted to be special, and he made him feel that way. And every gun, every door, every wall, every chain, every, everything crumbled to the ground like that. He no longer cared about anything but now doing what he thought was the right thing to do in life. He solicited from him everything in him that was still good. He pulled it all out with one sentence. I want to eat with you. Now, I remember sitting down with a person that I had known for years, and I had a discrepancy on what I believed and thought about a particular doctrine, 
And he looked at me and said, I can't eat with you. I can't eat with you. Jesus said, I want to eat with you. I think you might be the worst guy here. So you're the guy I want to have dinner with. I know a girl, she lives in Las Vegas, and she runs around with all these prostitutes. She climbs up in their little pens and their little caves with them and gets down there and says, you are so special. You are so much better than and she pulls them all out of prostitution. This is what she does all the time. She just pulls them out by going in and pulls them out. She says, you are so wonderful. You're so beautiful. Why are you in here? And what do they do? They're Zacchaeus. I'm so sorry I'm doing this, but I need the money, and I have a daughter, and I can help you. I got somebody that can help you. You see, what we do is we look at the world and we look at people, we look at things around us, we make this weird judgment. We have this imaginative idea that they want this. They're my enemy somehow. I posted a statement made by Eckhart Tolle. Does everybody know who Eckhart Tolle is? I love Eckhart Tolle. I just, I'm reading his book, The Power of Now. I love it. There's a lot of incredible principles in the book. I wrote a, put on Facebook, a little statement. What's the first thing I get back? That's one of Oprah's New Age deceivers. That's one of Oprah's New Age deceivers. I can't believe you posted that! Exclamation point. I just wanted to look up at God and go, can I quit the church now? Can I just leave? New age deceivers. Well, they don't know his story. You see, the point is, somebody who's searching and finding great intensity out of helping and loving people. One of my other favorites is Deepak Chopra. He set up a table in a park, and he put a sign up. It said, Help Desk. And he put up a big one of those banners with a picture of him on there, and there's this line snaking through the park. And he sits there at this little card table, and people come and sit down, and they just start crying. My marriage is a mess. And he just takes their hand, and he holds their hand, and he looks at them, and he says, Listen. And he just starts talking to them. He starts loving them. He gives them some, it's good advice. He gives them some advice. They get out, they take his hand. Thank you, I'm going to do that. I'm thinking, now what if I went up there and set up a sign that said, Church, Pastor Steve, and set up a card table, help desk. What do you think is going to happen? Huh? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know what's happened, folks? We've lost our influence. 
We've lost it. In the second half, I'm going to tell you how to get it back. All right. We'll take our break. Okay, we're going to go go ahead and if you want and head out for a few minutes, we will be back um, be back here it is 10:15, so be back at 10:35. Um, couple things, uh, we got a couple sign-ups at our table for our upcoming breakfast that we have and as well as a men's conference in October, so I'd like you guys just to take the time now look that over see if that's something you want to sign up for. Uh, we are selling the Men of Valor shirts out there also for $15. And there's a new load of snacks that's available out in the lobby, so go ahead and, those are free, go ahead and grab that. Um, anybody wants to talk about anything that we have going on here? Um, I won't set up a sign that says help desk, but I will be out there if anybody has any questions about some of the stuff we have coming up. So with that being said, you guys are dismissed until 1035.